everyone. I am Mary Wood for San Francisco Ballet, and I am delighted to be here with you in the War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco, and to welcome you to this evening's Points of View program. This is Wednesday, February 3rd, 2016. And as much as I'm very happy to welcome those of you who are here in the Opera House. As many of you know, these programs are recorded for podcast at a future date, and you can go to the ballet website, sfballet.org, and catch podcasts of interviews and lectures that you may have missed, or if you really enjoyed one, you could hear it a second time. So a welcome also to those folks who may be listening at a later date. This evening, um, we are delighted to be presenting information and conversation around program one. It's kind of, we're a little out of order. Last week we did program two, so I'm still adjusting things in my mind. Um, those of you who are um, regulars know this drill by now, I hope. Those of you who may be experiencing our evening for the first time, a very popular feature of these programs is the opportunity to ask questions of our guests. They love that. So I'm hoping that you will be thinking of things as we go along that you, we are not addressing that you would really like to know more about. And in order to make that happen, we ask you to move to the center aisle where there is a standing mic uh, in order so that your question can be heard by everyone and captured for immortality on the podcast. And um, so be thinking about the fact that you are going to want to move to the mic when we get to the question and answer period. Um, that's a little choreography i just like to uh, give you a heads up about. So um, in this evening's program, you are going to be seeing a revival of Helgi Thomason's elegant seven for eight. And you get a foretaste of the elegance of four of the lovely, lovely men in the company. This is Dance to Keyboard Sonatas by Bach. It was last seen here in 2011. And then that is followed by Magritte Mania, the first ballet created for San Francisco Ballet by Yuri Posikov, who was subsequently named our choreographer in residence in 2006 and who has now, after 10 years, created an impressive body of work for San Francisco Ballet, not to speak of companies worldwide. And of course, we'll be in conversation with Yuri later in the season uh, when an encore of his wildly successful swimmer appears on program five, and that'll be in another month or so. Um, then, of course, the Greedy Mania. The evening concludes with William Forsyth's Pop Hearts, which is now called Pop Hearts 2016, and we'll talk a little bit more about the why of that. Um, in its San Francisco Ballet premiere this season, uh, William Forsyth has a very long 30-year relationship with San Francisco Ballet 
setting his new sleep on the company in 1987. In the intervening years, we've enjoyed several works staged on the company, but created elsewhere. You'll remember In the Middle, Somewhat Elevated, Vertiginous Thrill of Exactitude, Artifact Suite, I can't think of any others, that's it for San Francisco Ballet. He has a huge work, body of work out there in the world. Um, so in order to talk about Pop Hearts, I'm delighted to introduce those dancers and members of our company staff who will be in conversation with us this evening. Um, let me start with Sofiane Silve. Good evening. Sofiane joined the company as a principal dancer in 2008, mm -hmm. following her training in native France, and then performing st stints with uh, Germany Staatstheater. Yep. Uh, Dutch National Ballet. Correct. And the New York City Ballet. Right. Which gives us the benefit of your Balanchine um, in your yeah. bones. Back background, yes, a yes. bit. And um, it is of interest to me especially that you have been a very valued member of the faculty of the San Francisco Ballet School almost since you got here. Yes. And um, be interesting to hear a little bit more about how that informs both your work and the students. Well, I think being a dancer is very um, self-centering. In a sense, it's always about you because you are the main focus. And I find that teaching is actually about the students. And I actually needed that balance um, to be able to continue what I do. And I think becoming a good teacher takes time. It's not mm -hmm. something you can just become overnight. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to do that. So. That's part of the balance, and that's why I joined also this company, because I could be in both places at the same time. Oh, fantastic. And I'm very dedicated to the trainee program, because it's basically on my free days, on Mondays. But um, I never look back. It's really something that I want to do. And um, I see the result on stage, and I actually see a lot of kids now on stage with me. So we're doing OK. That has to be very rewarding. reciprocal. I can imagine those students standing there on the stage and as you mm -hmm. run by them in your ballerina role, just... Right. And it's also a little bit like the bridge of, you know, that person that you already know in the company, uh, being the student, mm -hmm. you know, you mm -hmm. always feel like this little, small little thing, and it's like, well, but actually I know her and she's in front, so we okay. So I think it takes a little bit of the pressure off and I'm happy to be there. I have some more questions about that, but I'll save them for slightly, <laughs> okay. just down the road a bit. Um, I did also want to emphasize that it's your audience. Good fortune that Sofiane will be performing this evening. Yes, that's why I look like this. Pop um, you know. And we are Sorry. so grateful that she was willing to spend this preliminary 45 minutes with us. So thank well, you. Well, it was again. a pop arts thing, so for sure. Um, and Katita Waldo. Um, Katita performed, as most of you will remember, with the company for 22 years. Long time. And the last 16 of those as a principal dancer. Um, before retiring for several years, you were transitioning into the role that you now occupy as a ballet master. And Katita has staged works for Yuri Posikoff, for Christopher Wilden, among many others, many of us recall your work in the William Forsyth Ballets, in the middle. I hope in a good way. <laughs> um, yes, 
and in the middle. We do. I remember. We yeah. were on stage together. Vertiginous Thrill, which is indelibly in my mind. I, when I think of you, that's the, the, several images flash by, and that's one of them. And um, then the fact that you are now on the other side of the room um, as ballet master for William Forsythe. And so I'm really looking forward to some of the insights that you'll be able to give us. So anyway, welcome to Katita and welcome to Sophie Ann. Thanks for taking the time again to, to be here. Um, in talking about this ballet of Willem Forsythe, let's start looking at, I believe that's Sophie Ann herself. Um, actually, Katita, let me start with you. Uh, having worked with such a diverse number of choreographers. You've also worked as a ballet master learning works that are already staged. You've worked with choreographers staging or setting for the first time. Um, it occurs to me that the world is full of personalities and wonder how you handle learning the different ones and of course, we're going to circle around to William Forsythe. And what kind of presence do you have to bring to the studio with him, particularly? But first, you know, how, did, how does that fit in with other experiences you've had with other choreographers? Um, that's a, actually a really good question. I'm still learning. I've been into this for six years now, and it's still I'm a novice and. Um, Every choreographer is very, very different. There are some choreographers that arrive with every step set, um, completely knowing exactly what they want, uh, regardless of cast. Um, so, you know, they want every dancer to do the same step. There are some dan uh, choreographers that are collaborative, so they will come in and have an idea of what they want to do and then want to work with the dancers to to find the voice that they wish to have for their piece. Um, so they're very different. There are many different uh, styles. Some choreographers want you to shut up and stay at the front of the room and push the tape and uh, just get out of the way. And some choreographers want you to really be a participant and to have a voice. And, and you have to, you don't know when they show up which one you're going to get. So it's, uh, it's, every choreographer is very different. And every dancer is different. Their methods and their, what works for them is very different as well. And it is continuing to be a learning process to me. I'm still, I'm still um, learning and, and working on that. So that's um, part, of, part of my new job. And William Forsythe, what does he demand of you? Bill is energy, uh, he's, he's, you know, a live battery that will not stop. He's amazing. Um, he is um, full of ideas. Everything he sees, he wants to shape. Um, he, he knows what he wants to do and he wants to work with a dancer. So. He, he wants some interpretation from the, from the people that are at the front of the room, but not too much so that he can really work with the dancer themselves mm. and find their particular voice. 
Um, so it's a balance between stepping in and saying, oh, maybe what about this? Because if he, if he, he has a vision of his movement and um, he's creating it, but he is working with a dancer to figure out what he wants something to be. I should, I should add actually that um, this ballet was supposed to be a revival, uh, which usually means somebody comes in, teaches you the steps, you're done. Um, in Bill's case, he wanted to take this ballet and revive it for the San Francisco Ballet with a couple changes. Couple, couple changes. Um, so he ended up re-choreographing probably about 80% of the ballet. And it was a collaborative effort between especially the dancers and Bill, mm. very much so. But he did, he wanted some interpretation. He would demonstrate something and, and he would hope that the ballet masters would capture what he had demonstrated so they could teach to the dancers. But usually, most of the time, it really came down to the dancers working with Bill themselves and the ballet masters kind of videotaping, hoping they got everything that it was supposed to be. So um, going back to choreographers, everyone is different. So Bill was definitely a creative force from day one who was um, creating every day, changing every day, finding new things. He would go and look at the videotape from the day before and, and, and find things that he wanted to, to work on and change and make specific to mm -hmm. his dancers. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, it, was a, it was a very big challenge. It's a very big challenge. Well, I'm sure that Sophianne is going to be able to just pick up exactly where you left off. Yes. Uh, uh, we were talking about the fact that you have a very long working relationship with Bill from long before your time here at San Francisco. Right. Um, the first time I met Bill, I was, uh, I think, 17. We were doing um, Artifact the entire evening in, um, in Holland. And so, you know, I'm 17. It's my second company already. And I'm like, who is this guy? And he comes in and he's like this fire of energy. And you're like, I don't know where you're taking, but you're like on. And so we didn't have lunch breaks. We finished over time without being asked. We just wanted to be in that studio with him because he was so crazy. And so basically you were this classical dancer thinking, you know, I figured this out. I'm on my balance. I understand my body. I know how it works. And he goes, you know, it's really nice. I would like to do it again, completely off balance, and then we're gonna do it reverse. And your brain starts to go. <laughs> um, all right, so I thought I spoke English, but um, let, me, let me put my brains into this one. And, you know, after a week or so, you started to get that bug of like, how far can I go? And how far can I go before my teeth are on the ground? And, um, and I have to tell you, he is probably the one person that opened my eyes to the nine points, the counter, the, the way you can actually push yourself and still manage, and it's okay. And then you revisit, you know, your Sleeping Beauty, and it's a whole different world because you've experienced so much more. So Bill is that person. And till today, and seeing him again this time, he has that... Um, real honest view of making you the very best you can 
-hmm. Sometimes against your own will, because you go, I'll never be able to do that. Like, what are you thinking? And he makes you do it. So he's, in a way, a, a magician, and he hasn't lost any of it in whatever long he's been doing this, which is quite refreshing to see, because sometimes you've gone so far. I mean, the guy is the most famous choreographer alive today. Um, and he still walks around and still wants to pick on, you know, the head, the nose, the, the you know, the glamour, um, comes and watches rubies uh, because he loves Mr. B. So that's, that's Bill. Mm. Um, there's a quote, I believe it's in your program book, that um, the, our uh, program writer, Cheryl Osula, says, this collaboration between Bill and dancers accelerated the composition process and gave the dancers a sense of ownership. Uh -huh. And then he, he is quoted as saying, that's very important. It helps create a performing community. It's not just that you've learned the steps. These are your steps. They were made for you, uh -huh. with you. And I thought you've already spoken a little bit about that, but you say he, he asks you to do something and then he says, do it backwards and do it. Right, he wants to how see it in every form uh -huh. because he wants to see how your body is actually handling that. It's not about challenging you in the sense to see, I'm going to see how tired I'm going to make you. He's actually really trying to see what your body can do and how you can manage it because that's where he gets the most fun out of it. It's not, I have an idea of a step, you do it, thank you very much, see you tomorrow. And in that sense, it can be very difficult because if you don't open that to him it doesn't work and it's not about like oh my god you're god and i'm going to kneel and just you know mm -hmm. it's just about being open to go i'm going to experience this from the right to the left backwards forward and see where i can go with it as well so we, i'm taking this journey with you and it has to be the gate has to be open on both sides otherwise mm -hmm. it doesn't work mm -hmm. um katita you mentioned that this was supposed to be just restaging and then turned out to be practically re-choreography. Um, here's another quote. Um, Bill is quoted as saying, I wanted to do it at San Francisco Ballet, um, the piece in general, um, because of this consistent musical quality, musical quality I've seen here for 30 years. How do you think this company has achieved the reputation of being so very musical. I mean, this is a little side to Foresight. This is more about the company in general, but then we will go from there to Bill and music. But um, how, how, why is San Francisco Ballet known by Bill Forsyth as being so musical? Let's look at some more people. Don't know. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Because <laughs> I know our dancers are exceedingly musical. I think that part of it has to do with the fact that we have to dance so many styles. And that Helgi has committed himself to having uh, new works, and so many of them. So you have to get used to working with different choreographers and their different interpretation of music. Um, you know, Christopher Wilden, for example, is one of the most musical choreographers I've ever known in my life, but his musicality is unique. And unless you're working in the room with him, um, and even if you are, sometimes you don't have a clue what he's hearing, but it's so right. And when you get it, it's so right. And I think that our dancers have to be um, ready to hear what a choreographer hears. And it's not just 
boom, chick, ding, you know, da, 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 da. It's um, very different kinds of music, different kinds of rhythm, different kinds of musicality, and our repertoire demands that our dancers be ready for that. So I think part of it is the repertoire that we dance, mm -hmm. which is chosen by Helgi. And, and I think that that's one of the demands that we have. Um, so that I, can't, would be I can't let a single one of these programs go by without mentioning our incredible orchestra and our music direction, because this is their 40th anniversary season. So we're going to celebrate right. that all season. Um, do you think that having the high, high caliber musician and musical, the collaboration between the music director and the artistic director contributes to just a heightened sense of, um, Sofian, speak to that. Well, I would say that you know, we are very lucky to have a live audience. I mean, obviously, it, yeah, you can put a tape and it's easier, which we have for pop arts because it's computerized, but having a live orchestra is the key. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we have the second program with rubies, which is counts. Even if you have a musical ear, you have to count because here and there, the horn, the trumpet, somebody goes before. If you lose your count, you, you're cooked. Um, fearful symmetries. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you don't hear that, then I, I don't know. So we have to be very aware of, like Katiza was saying, what the choreographer is hearing, um, what they actually want as the effect. And then you deal every night with the maestro and, and you figure it out. So we're very lucky to be able to do mm -hmm. that. Um, Bill Forsyth is an extraordinarily musical artist. Um, I want everyone to recall Vertiginous Thrill of Exactitude. If, is there anyone out here who has not seen that? Just a few people. Okay. It's a Schubert, I believe. Um, very, very classical. Every note is choreographed and every phrase is choreographed. So there's clearly a classical sensibility on Forsyth's part. Pop Hearts music, speak about the music. Music, um, hmm. Uh, Noises, you mean? Noise, <laughs> yeah. Actually, I have heard, the I've actually, I've, I've read some reviews and um, it is one of Mr. Willem's most diverse scores in that um, he, he also composed the music for In the Middle, Somewhat Elevated, and um, it, it was more uh, the same style the whole way through. Uh, pop arts is made up of 19 different parts, and each part has different music, um, sounds uh, that you dance to. Um, what was very interesting for me about, about this particular ballet is that, um, especially as a ballet master, where I had to learn the choreography as best I could, everybody's choreography, and and learn it is that I turned off the, the, when I was watching the videos to learn the steps, I turned off the music. I, 90% of the time, I did not listen to the score at all. I just learned the steps. And, um, and Sof can speak to this more, uh, but it was more of, there are rhythms within the choreography that fit the sound that you're gonna hear. And what he really wanted was for the dancers to play 
with the rhythms and the timings of the choreography within the sound. So it's not five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three, four. It's this is the series of steps you have to do. Now here's the music. And now find the rhythm that works for you to make these steps within this in this frame, in right. this music. So, right. Yeah, as Katita is saying, as um, we have been working, and I think when it was made, um, I think Bill had this agreement with Tom that they would have material, and then Tom would come up with the music, and then it had to be, you know, we can count it on an A, we can make it a 10. So basically the dancers came in with what they heard, and it became what we use as counts. But yes, we have to find the rhythm and basically the choreography is made that if we are off, like the beat that we think we are, we just continue so everything always happens at the same time, even though it may be one beat or two beat off. So it's a very um, different way of actually going on stage because you, know, you don't have the maestro going and we go. It's basically we're looking at each other, we take visual cues, and then there are things in the music that by now we hear, you know, a whistle, a train, you, you, you'll, you'll have the experiment tonight, um, you'll understand. Um, and people just come up with stuff, you know, we come in with the train, locomotion, the cha-cha-cha, we just made things up as we went. When you're working with the potters or the solos or the trios, not so bad. They, could they find their rhythm and it's fine, but when you have to have a section, and there are sections, as you'll see, where the dancers have to be absolutely in, in synchronicity, then it was like, okay, uh, uh, what do we count? How do we hear it? Are we all gonna hear it the same? And, and it became really tricky, and um, but the dancers have done an amazing job, and they figured it out, and I'm still having to figure, I have to ask them, like, so how do you know how to do that? Because I don't, and if I have to teach it to somebody else, I'm going to be in trouble. So, yeah, we've we've basically come up with a new um, language, basically on the quiche, boom, bam, boom, we go. It's just like, okay, all right, I'm going to try to find the quiche back, boom. So um, <laughs> it's a whole new language. I know that there are works that you've performed um, that are done have, or have extended sections done in silence. And so I wonder if some of the same ensemble techniques work, that breathing together, that eye contact. You always have tricks. a sense of visual, and there's a sense of when the choreography is made, you do it at a certain speed, and it can slow you down or make you stop, which he has done in one dance that we call the jungle dance. It was complicated enough with the arms going the opposite way on the opposite side of the other side. So it was already a lot of opposition and stuff. And then he goes, actually, could you hold there? And we were like, oh, God, no, 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 I just had it. And then you just had it, and then you hold it, and then you figure it out again. But yes, we've had a few moments where we, we take it visually, but then there's also that rhythm where it, it just, it's like a heartbeat. And you just mm -hmm. go, and because we've done it so much, it's like eating a little bit. There were sections, there's a section called Locomotive, which you will see tonight, which is uh, Jennifer Stahl, uh, one woman and all the men. And there she is now, yes. Oh, good. And it's called Locomotive, and you'll understand why. It sounds like a locomotive. But um, it's essentially, what he did with a lot of the dancers is, okay, um, here's the music, make something up. 
Okay, you, here's, here's a basic framework of steps that he would create with a dancer and then improv off of that. And he did this with you and a lot of the other dancers and he said, okay, so take the material that we've already agreed is yours and improv. And then that's what you're gonna do. So as a ballet master, that's awesome for the first cast, but when you have to have a second cast that's ready to go, um, it can be a little tricky. So what he would end up doing is he'd say, okay, Sophie-Anne, um, improv this, improv that, and, and then dis you do that, and then that's what it's gonna be. So essentially he would make an improv off of Sophie-Anne, which now becomes the choreography, which now gets taught to all the other casts. So that was an interesting thing. And, and as a ballet master, it was very difficult because there were lots of changes. And sometimes I wasn't there for the changes. So, um, uh, you know, Jennifer Solo actually, I still don't know what it is. I know she's doing a bunch of stuff up there, but I don't know what it is. But I know I'm supposed to, so I hope I have a chance to. Are, are we lucky? We have, we have some video that we can Thank sort God, of videos. But we have another picture. Let's see what it is. Yeah. Oh, there's uh, Julia and Joe. I think that's the last picture we have. We'll, nope, there's another one. Um, so this makes me want, to, want you to tell me about the movement. We've talked a lot about process. Uh, we know that, well, I'll just throw classicism as your starting point. Yeah, but point. I would Go. say it's your classicism 2.0, meaning, you know, next generation in the sense like it is classical, but you've taken it to the extreme. Mm -hmm. So um, having said that, yes, you have to really know what the positions are in terms of a classical ballet shape for him to be able to allow the extension of that. It's never going to be a bad position extended. It's going to be a classical position that's going to go off. Mm -hmm. And um, the entire um, choreography is based that way. Uh, it's just that you go, how did you end up on the floor? Well, it was actually a standing position that's just happening on the floor, but it's still a standing position. Okay. Yeah, I would actually add to that that uh, one of the things that he always talks about is um, people interpret my choreography. They, they quote unquote forsyth it because they uh, try to do the movement they see instead of what I want in terms of other, other companies doing their work, his work. And the truth of it is that the fundamentals of, of, of Billy's work are completely classical. Vertiginous is the prime example um, in that, and, and he talks about this, is that he wanted to take a classical dance and and tweak it. Um, but it, it, he wanted you to execute the movements in a classical way. So he wanted you to use your body as classically as you possibly could, but take it to an extreme. And this is exactly the same thing. So um, one of the big deals with, with ballet and what makes it different is turnout. So you will find positions in, in, in Bill's work where you're not turned out, but especially with the arms, all of the arms are based on classical, fundamental, 
classical ballet. And he's really big about that. He doesn't want wiggling and, and squirming. He wants classical positions that are, are, that are taken to an extreme and put kind of like a photograph when you bend it. So you have a portrait of, of a purely classical or you know a, a Victorian woman in a Victorian portrait and you twist it. And what he wants to see is the twist. But the position and the composition is absolutely pure classical and then he takes it and he bends it. And, and his biggest complaint is that people bend to begin with instead of going from the pure into that place that he envisions. So that's pretty profound. <laughs> but oh my it God. really, really helps me when I look back at every one of the works of his that we have seen. Um, this is a warning to everyone. We are about to launch into your opportunity to, to answer, ask the questions so that our guests can um, perhaps address something we haven't been able to come up with. So be thinking about your question and be ready to move to the, to the mic. Let's give you another two and a half minutes. Um, you made me think of something that was, and you were going to say something maybe about the classical form. I think it was just an accident that I turned to this picture, which looks like it could be a yeah, it's like intermediate classical. ballet class. I mean, put a tutu on. I was just going to say, put a tutu on it. You have Nutcracker right there. Um, really? Yeah. But I think what also Bill is, has been a little bit um, trying to fight after so many years of so many people wanting his stuff is that to take away the affectation of, I am doing Bill Forsyth, you know, and it's like, it's not at all like ballet imperial think of, you know, Ruby's ballet imperial sleeping beauty, uh, but not this thing of like your nose is always down and you're like attacking the audience, he just hates that. So these were kind of funny because it's true, like you, you look at the work sometimes from other places or people going to galas and you're like, what happened there? And that this is what happens, I think people take a visual what they think it is without really knowing what it mm -hmm. is and it yeah. becomes this thing and he, he hates it. There was another quote, this one, um, uh, interview that was appeared in the newspaper a couple weeks ago. Um, he says, the biggest mistake is to modernize me. That's the word, Some modernize. Dan yeah. Some dancers think that performing my work is an excuse to express an aggressive persona. Which That's what I mean, like, with ornate you. exaggerations rather than logical extensions of the classic form. Mm -hmm. I taught my dancers, I just love this, I taught my dancers about taste and unencumbered delight. Mm -hmm. Isn't that lovely? Un unaffected, which is uh, He says, refreshing. people think I want attitude, but I am very much against it. My mission is to disabuse people of that notion. So That's, what you were that saying. That was exactly yeah. what I was trying to say. I have to say one of the things that has been the most extraordinary for me through my career, and I, I was here when he set New Sleep. I, I learned it, but I never danced it, but I've had the privilege of doing all of his works in our company, but I've gotten to work with his people. And you can't find better people. First of all, the movement, the quality of movement that these dancers of his that worked with him at Frankfurt Ballet, that he brought together, the quality of movement that they have, the purity of their lines, 
talk about classical, I, I just, amazing, but also just 201, wonderful, curious people who enjoy the process of, of this work and are completely not, <laughs> you know, there is not a single, you know, ego among them. It's just generous giving, and again, every single one of them, the movement, mm -hmm. the, to watch them demonstrate um, Bill's, Bill's work is mind-blowing to me. It's been incredible. Do we have people who are interested in questions? Um, if so, please make your way to the mic so we can hear your question. Uh, just to uh, compare and contrast a little bit in terms of what you were saying about the interactivity of uh, styles of uh, choreographers, could you maybe characterize a little bit that of Liam Scarlett and perhaps Viuri? I won't put you on the spot with uh, Helgi, but... <laughs> well, um, well, Helgi hasn't choreographed in a little while, so I haven't not seen him, I've seen him in, you know, The Nutcracker and rehearsing now for Swan Lake, but... Um, well, Liam is a very different person. Liam comes into the studio with a pretty set ideas of what's going to happen. Uh, very clever formations and stuff that clearly you need to be thinking at home how everybody's going to move on what count to make the shape happen. So Liam was coming in with the score and basically telling us, this is the step, this is what we're doing, this is where you're going, and that was it. Um, in terms of solos and stuff, he uh, allowed a little bit more freedom, but pretty much a set idea where he wanted to go. I think Yuri um, has a little bit more of this uh, artistic to vision of like making it with the dancers and see how it evolves, and then try to consider, like for instance, the swimmer, I was doing the Red Girl um, second cast, and um, we had to kind of, you know, contemplate what the dress would be like, so, you know, maybe don't end up with the hands in the middle of my legs for too long, you know, like trying to make things that look a little better. Uh, but definitely taking it more with the dancers. Um, yeah, I think Bill is the one that comes in with, I think, an idea but really sets it on us. Mm -hmm. So that's a really big difference. And it evolves as we go. Uh, and as long as he's here, it evolves. Yes. It doesn't, it, we were making, he was making changes until the day before the show started. And in fact, Francis Chung came to me the day of the show and said, well, the solo's gonna be a surprise today. And that was the opening day. And I was like, oh, really? And uh, sure enough, I had no idea what she was going to do for the solo, and it turned out to be a Frankenstein, a very successful one, of different versions of the four solos that he had created for her for the same part, so, which she had to come up with, so it was really cool, actually. To be fair, I've actually heard that about George Balanchine that he would change oh, things. Yeah. Right well, Mr. B curtain. was probably the only person that could choreograph four ballets at the same time. I don't know how one brain can actually do that. Jumping from one studio, uh, and you know, state theater is, you know, you have the main hall, you have a practice room which is as big as a bathroom in California, and then you have the stage. So I don't know how he managed, but he's the only one that I know that could work 
and choreograph four different ballets at the same time till today. That's the only person I, I mean, I know that I have not met, but that I've heard who could do that. Wow. Is anyone else brave enough to come down the aisle and stand at the mic and ask us a question? Oh, good. We have one more. <laughs> and this will have to be it. We've just come right to our Cinderella moment. Well, Mary, I'm trying to decipher the <clears throat> note on page 20, is it 27 of the program uh, in regard to Epaumont? Uh, yes. I, I understand it as being the classical ballet position. Right. And so. turn your hand and go the other way. You're moving in opposition, is this correct? Am I going in the right direction? Yeah, you're getting warm. Uh, <laughs> let me just give you the exact um, definition. So, épaulement, épaule, is a French word for your shoulders. So, the épaulement, so we kept the French um, words because it's been codified in French. The ballet steps are French. So basically, the way you angle your shoulders, whether if my legs are crossed to you, I'm in a croisé position. Uh -huh. If I do this position the other way, I'm in effacé, meaning erasing my corner to you because in old ballroom in, you know, Louis XIV, you could let people pass by. You would open the gate for them to go. So you would erase yourself from the corner. So that's where épaulement is coming from. So that is the French word for basically where, where your shoulders are and they are, they are very precise to where it happens in each corner of the room. Croisé, effacé, écarté. And they're all French words codified from the ballet uh, vocabulary. That's what it means. And Bill is a huge fanatic of épaulement and basically would make you do on a standing position. He goes, you do the same thing facing the ground or facing the sky or facing the back. So all of a sudden, you had to learn the new generation of épaulement with Bill. But that's what it means. Thank oh, thank you. So épaulement uh, primarily means the carriage of the upper body. Correct. Yes. Correct. Oh, lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. Well, unfortunately, we have run out of our time, and so I, before I say the heartfelt thank you that I'm wanting to say, we need to review our exit choreography. Uh, we need to go out the side to your right. Those of you who already have tickets, you've been scanned, you can go around to the front. If you are not holding a ticket for tonight, you could probably go and get one, but if you're not and you're going to leave, then you're, you're going to be able to get out to the right. So now I can say thank you very much for your attention. They're having this animated conversation about a pulmon here. Thank you, Katita. Thank you, Sophia. Thank you. Thank you very, Thank you very much. much. Have a great night. Thank you. Thank you.